0: Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. We're doing a series through the book of Revelation. And we, have now, we now come to Revelation chapter 14, which has seven announcements in. And uh, let's just talk about the setting for this. In Revelation 11, it uh, describes the events leading up to the blowing of the seventh trumpet at mid-tribulation. And uh, in particular, we see the ministry of the two witnesses at the Temple Mount and the miracles that they do, and they call down the first six trumpet judgments. And then the Antichrist comes, uh, he breaks the covenant, he kills the two witnesses, once they've completed their ministry. And at that point, their bodies uh, lie dead on the Temple Mount, the whole world sees that. And then after three and a half days, God raises them from the dead and they ascend into heaven to the astonishment of the world as a proof of their preaching, because they have been preaching that Christ died and rose again after three days. And so their their preaching is proved, and many come to believe, especially in Israel at that time. And uh, at that point, uh, the Antichrist seizes the initiative back by putting up the abomination of desolation in the temple, and that's the signal for the believing Jews at this time to flee flee to safety because Jesus warned them get out of there now because now is beginning the Great Tribulation a time that is worse than any other time in history especially for the Jews and for any believer and so they, uh, they flee uh, as quickly as possible uh, and this is also described in Revelation 12 the woman flees Uh, to a place in Jordan, I believe it's Petra, and there she will be kept safe for the remaining three and a half years, or 1,260 days. And so that's the the subject of Revelation chapter 12. And uh, we've seen that, in fact, these these believers, um, there's a 30-day window of opportunity for this escape to take place. Um, And at that time, the Antichrist also establishes his world dictatorship. He brings in the mark of the beast. So, by the end of the 30 days, the woman's escaped to a place of safety, and the Antichrist has set up his, his kingdom. And then we are now into the final 1260 days where the Antichrist exercises his world power, but the woman, the remnant of Israel, is actually safe there in, in Petra, in Jordan. Well, Revelation 13 shows Antichrist quickly at this time. Partly based on his death and resurrection, the, the whole world is stunned and amazed, and he is able to quickly, and, and with the. Satan actually will have offered him the kingdoms of the world, and when he accepts that, um, Jesus rejected that offer, but Antichrist will accept that, and then he will become satanically possessed and empowered with great power, satanic power, and all of these things will enable him to quickly establish his world dictatorship. And that's what Revelation 13 is all about. And that world dictatorship will last for 1260 days, or 42 months. And this is the time of the, the seventh trumpet. And so when the Antichrist puts up his abomination of desolation, The other thing that happens is that God blows the seventh trumpet and releases Michael and the angels to remove Satan and his angels from their positions of spiritual authority over the darkness of this world, and they are cast down to the earth's surface. And that's also in Revelation 12. Well, now we come to Revelation 14. Um, Now, after these 30 days, as I said, Antichrist's um, world power is established, the seven kings have submitted to him, and a new world religion is established where uh, everyone has to worship the Antichrist. And the mark of the beast is brought in to reinforce that system, to, as it were, force people into doing it, because if they don't receive the mark by, uh, by acknowledging Antichrist as their god and swear total loyalty to him, then they are then cut out of the economic system. They can't buy or sell. We're into a whole new system now, a whole new world power. It seems as if Satan has succeeded in bringing in his um, new uh, world empire and that he now has the means to totally eradicate anyone who does not uh, obey him in that. And. This is Satan's plan, ultimately, to bring the whole world under his control. Well, with this um, in place, with um, this Antichrist world empire in place, the mark of the beast in place, we come to Revelation 17, where God now answers. And God's response uh, is, in Revelation 17, to, to basically announce, make seven announcements. Um, in response to what the Antichrist has done. And these announcements basically predict the failure of Satan's project and the ultimate triumph of the righteous. These announcements actually are designed to give encouragements to believers, but also final warnings to the world before they take the mark of the beast. So this is like God's... Final warning before they, they, they as they're about to make that decision to take the mark, mask, to take the mark. And these announcements reveal what God will do. And it reveals the different outcomes of different groups of people during the time of the seventh trumpet. So God is basically saying, This is going to be the final outcome. So you need to make the right decision. And He does that through these seven visions, these seven announcements. So this uh, chapter here is, uh, if you like, a transition. It's just set just straight after the mid-tribulation interval and just before, really, we get into the action of the, uh, of the last three and a half years, the last 1,260 days. And uh, the next chapter, 15 and 16, is all about the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out at the end of these 1,260 days. So God is demonstrating through these announcements that he's still in charge, although on earth it will look like Satan has completely taken over. These announcements reveal God's grace in giving man a final chance to repent and to trust in Christ before it's too late. Well, the first vision is Revelation 14, 1 to 5, it's of the 144,000 in heaven. I have to believe that it's the same group of people as the 144,000 in, v- in chapter seven. It says, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion in heaven, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. This of course is the voice of Christ. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders that... They represent the church. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who are redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for they're virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of God. You know, there's no good reason to suppose that these are a different group from the 144,000 Jewish men in Revelation 7. Who spearheaded the world evangel- world evangelism in the first half of the tribulation, but now they're described as being in heaven. Mount Zion is in, is heaven, according to Hebrews twelve twenty two. Notice it says that they keep themselves morally and sexually pure. They're re- described as being redeemed from the earth, as first fruits to God. Now, redeemed means to be released from bondage by the payment of a price. So, receiving our eternal, our immortal bodies, is often called the redemption of the body, and it says this is because only the blood of Jesus made that possible. His redemption didn't just redeem our spirits but our bodies too. And so redeemed from the earth must signify they have now received their immortal bodies. This means the 144,000 were also raptured at the mid-tribulation at the same time that the two witnesses are resurrected. You see, having fulfilled their ministry, along with the two witnesses, God receives them into heaven as the first fruits, it says, of the tribulation harvest. They are redeemed from among men, means they were raptured while still alive, leaving others behind, and they being first fruits to God and the lamb, and therefore they are the first part of a greater harvest offered up to God in advance, the rest of the harvest being all the tribulation martyrs that will be resurrected at the second coming. We read that in Revelation 24. And so in their glorified bodies, they stand without fault before the throne of God. And this event actually connects with the catching up to the throne of the man-child who comes forth from Israel in Revelation 12.5, because the man-child is Christ, But strangely, the prophecy then jumps from Christ's catching up to to the throne of God, um, and then it immediately jumps to the women that's believing Israel, fleeing into the wilderness at mid-tribulation. So how can we explain that jump? Now the Bible often has prophetic jumps, but there's always a connecting link between those two jumps. And now we can explain why the prophecy jumps from Christ catching up to heaven, to this end time event of the woman fleeing to the wilderness. These two events seem to be disconnected. But when a prophecy jumps in time like this, there's always a connecting link. In this case, we've previously shown that the woman's flight happens on the very same day as the catching up of the two witnesses and the 144,000. So the connecting link is the catching up of a man child. So verse 5 describes the catching up of Christ and the catching up of the 144,000 Jewish men in Christ at the mid-tribulation, both being a firstfruits offering to God. So in Revelation 12.5, it talks about the man-child Christ being offered up. And then the prophecy jumps to the exact day when the 144,000, as the man-child in Christ being offered up, and on that very same day, the woman flees in the wilderness. So we can see the continuity of that prophecy. When it says the 144,000 have the Father's name written on their forehead, this confirms they're in their resurrected states. Because in at the end of the book of Revelation, um, it describes us believers when we're resurrected in the eternal state of having God's name written on our foreheads. And so it's interesting that... Um, these were the ones who were sealed by God in revelation 7 and they were sealed that's a mark of ownership and protection and and that's a picture of all believers are sealed in that sense in Christ we belong to God and in a sense you will be sealed in especially in the tribulation if you are not sealed by God through the holy spirit then you are marked You either receive the mark of God on you, or you receive the mark of the beast on you. Uh, You must be sealed by one or the other, and it's up to you who you are sealed by. And so this picture of the 144,000 in heaven is given as an encouragement to the believers who are still on earth to stay faithful to God. Because their spiritual fathers, these 144,000 who had recently disappeared, um, are now shown as being in glory, as the first fruits of a greater harvest. In other words, it's saying if you stay faithful to God, if you accept Christ, then you too, one day, will be receive that same resurrection, and you'll be in glory with with Christ in heaven also and so this vision of the 144,000 is an encouragement to to follow in their footsteps and then you will have the same destination and so, and it's also saying that's that's where these people have gone and so they are in glory as the first fruits as the guarantee of from God that they too the believers still on earth will soon be raised to the same place of glory Notice the 144,000's time of ministry is identical to the two witnesses. It started at the first trumpet, the seventh seal, first trumpet, and likewise the two witnesses start on the same day, the day of the Antichrist covenant, which was also the day of the first trumpet. And so it's a common assumption that the tribulation starts on the day of the Antichrist covenant, but that's not so. The covenant... Actually, is the starting point of Daniel's 70th week, the final seven years of the Tribulation. But the Tribulation starts sometime before. It might be months, but it could be years before that 70th week of Daniel 9.27. So the Covenant of Antichrist is the starting point of the 70th week, but the Tribulation that starts immediately after the Rapture will start some undetermined time before that. Thus. The covenant may be a few weeks, months, or even years into the tribulation. This is necessary because it preserves the imminence of the rapture, because many events can happen between the rapture and the start of the 70th week, that final seven years. So there is nothing that has to happen before the rapture. The rapture could be at any moment. The time between the rapture and the sealing of the 144,000 is unreckoned time because there's no representatives of God on the earth. The, the true church has left. The apostate church is spewed by Christ out of his mouth, as he says he would in Revelation 3. And Israel's clock does not restart until the 70th week starts with the Antichrist covenant. Um, and so this is, must be when the 144,000 are sealed, because again, that's when the clock restarts, and that's when God has anointed representatives on the earth again. And so there's unreckoned time, as I say, between the rapture and, the, and when the 144,000 are sealed at the start of Daniel's 70th week. Well, let's move on to the second announcement now. It's a, sp- a special proclamation of the gospel by an angel. A final call for men to turn to, to the God who created all things and to worship him. Before the mark of the beast comes into force, because if they take the mark, they'll be lost forever. And it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Now, generally, God ordains men to preach the gospel, not angels. So this reflects the special conditions prevailing at this time. Now that God has withdrawn his ambassadors, the 144,000 and the two witnesses, before the final showdown, in his mercy, God uses an angel to get the gospel out one more time to the whole world. This is a warning for the lost to repent because great judgments are about to fall. Now, the third announcement reveals the destruction of the apostate harlot religion at mid-tribulation, and the final destiny of Antichrist's world empire and capital. It says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so there's two aspects to Babylon. One is the political and commercial beast, and the other one is the religious harlot that rides the beast. And we talked previously about that, that the harlot will be destroyed, who is called Babylon, Mystery Babylon. She's destroyed at mid-tribulation. And so this prophecy is is saying what has already happened, first of all, this harlot is destroyed, and that's described in Revelation 17. However, the political beast will continue its domination for another three and a half years, the political Babylon, until it's totally destroyed under the seventh bowl of wrath. And that's just before the second coming of Christ. And that destruction of Babylon is described in Revelation 18. So this is an announcement that the harlot Babylon has fallen, but also that in a short time, the Babylon the Great, the city, the uh, political power of the beast, will be totally destroyed just before the second coming of Christ. So this is an announcement that, that God's going to judge Babylon. So, do, so don't be part of it. Now the fourth announcement is the strongest possible warning, not to take the mark of the beast, because that's, it's about to come into action at this point. For those who do receive the mark will receive everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Let's read that. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength in the, into the cup of his indignation. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And the language is clear that their torment or punishment will never end. Some believe in annihilation, the annihilation of the wicked, that they will to cease to exist, that unbelievers cease to exist. But the fact that they have no rest from the pain of the punishment proves that they will continue to be conscious. That God tells them, really, to weigh the temporary pain of losing your earthly life against an eternity of everlasting conscious punishment. You know, we don't like to think about hell. But realizing its reality will cause sinners to repent and believers to share the gospel with urgency. The final destiny, it says here, of all those who take Satan's mark is the lake of fire. So this is God's warning. Don't take that mark. Turn to God. Now the fifth announcement is comfort for believers who will be martyred at this time because they don't take the mark encouraging them to persevere even to death, for those who refuse to take the mark and die in the Lord will enter into their eternal rest and reward. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. In other words, they will receive eternal rewards for their good works done in faithfulness to Christ. And so they're about to enter into a place of great blessedness. So therefore they should not fear death, um, but embrace it joyfully as a martyr. Now the sixth announcement reveals Jesus reaping the harvest of the earth. It says, Behold a a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now harvest time is the end of the age or the day of the Lord, or the tribulation, according to Jesus in Matthew thirteen thirty nine, And it's the time when the Lord of the harvest gathers in his harvest from the age, physically separating the righteous, the wheat, from the unrighteous, the tares, so that by the end of the harvest, all the unrighteous are removed from the earth into fire uh, and um, consigned to a place of fiery judgment. And the righteous are established in his kingdom, that's in the barn, as it were the wheat in the barn, his kingdom on the earth, some in their natural bodies and others reigning in their immortal bodies. After harvesting the church in the rapture, the tribulation generally is a time of harvest when God's judgments through angels remove unbelievers to a place of fire, while believers who are martyred go to heaven to wait their resurrection at the second coming, when they will be established in the messianic kingdom. However, what's particularly in view in these verses, is the great completion of this harvest accomplished personally by Christ himself at his second coming. This is the judgment of the nations where he separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25. And it's also described in Joel 2. Uh, Those who are still alive at the end of the tribulation this is what this vision is about. There, there will be a harvest of those. They will be, the righteous will be separated from the unrighteous. And only the righteous will be allowed to enter into that messianic kingdom. So those alive at the end of the tribulation will be brought before Christ to Jerusalem and separated into sheep and goats according to their nature. The sheep, the believers, will be gathered into the messianic kingdom, but the goats will be removed from the earth, consigned to everlasting fire. And that will first be spiritual fire in Hades, followed by, after the thousand years, the lake physical fire as well, because they'll be physically resurrected and thrown in the lake of fire. And that will happen after the thousand year reign of Christ. Then, at the second coming, Christ will also re- resurrect the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs joining the church to reign with Christ on earth. And so the harvest is completed at the second coming. And then finally, the seventh announcement reveals another part of the great harvest that Jesus will accomplish at his return, and that's the harvesting and the treading of the grapes, the total destruction of the rebellious armies of Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon. It says, another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe, literally overripe, ready for judgment. These grapes are the armies of Antichrist gathered from every nation. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, Just as men gather grapes from the vine, so God gathers these armies, and he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And this winepress is the land of Israel. In other words, he gathers all the armies from around the world under Antichrist. He gathers them to Israel to crush them underfoot in his winepress, which is the land of Israel then it says, the winepress was trampled outside the city, outside Jerusalem, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is 200 miles. Now this is a prophecy of the judgment that will fall on all the armies of the world that will come up to destroy Israel at the campaign of Armageddon. These grapes of wrath, ripe for harvest, are gathered and thrown into a winepress where they're trodden down and crushed to release their red juice, their blood. This is the armies of the world being gathered to the land of Israel for Armageddon. They are ripe for judgment. So when Jesus returns, he'll personally trample them underfoot, and their blood will flow like grape juice. Thus the great winepress of God's wrath is Israel. It says there'll be a path of blood that passes by Jerusalem, 200 miles long, which is the exact distance from Megiddo in the north, where they gather, uh, to Bosra, or Petra, in Jordan, in the south, where the remnant of Israel are there under siege from the Antichrist. Thus the armies spread out from Megiddo to Jerusalem and then to Bosra uh, in order to destroy all the Jews in the land. But Jesus will return and crush them all underfoot. This is fulfilled in Revelation 19.15. It says, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The grapes are people whose blood is shed When Jesus tramples them when he returns to judge those who are trying to destroy his people, commit genocide. Both of these harvest judgments of the 6th and 7th announcements are actually seen in Joel chapter 2, verse 2 to 14. And we'll finish with this. Number one, it says, Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And so that is the judgment of nations, with Jesus sitting on his throne, as we saw the judgment of the sheep and the goats. That is the first aspect of the harvest. That's the sixth announcement. Jesus is sitting for that one. And then secondly, Joel goes on and says, Come, go down. He says, he's talking about Christ now returning. Go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. This is, again, trampling the grapes of the winepress. Uh, the art judgment of the armies of Armageddon. By Christ, as he comes down, he destroys those armies. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision, or the valley of judgment, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And so everyone has to make their decision. By this time, those armies of the Antichrist, they've made their decision. They've taken the mark and now it's time of judgment for them you have to make your decision are you going to follow christ or are you going to follow god's enemy you in the end you have to make a decision and your eternal destiny depends on it you can order cds dvds books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086